Thank you, that was not rhetorical. (laughs) You feel like a big doofus if you ask a question and it's not rhetorical and no one answers. You feel like a bigger doofus when you have to explain that it wasn't a rhetorical question in the first place. That's why I very rarely say, and all of God's people said, because I'm scared nobody will say anything. (laughs) All of God's people said nothing. Let's turn together in our Bibles to Romans chapter 14, verse 13. Many of you are wonderful encouragers, have the gift of encouragement. Over the years, I have been encouraged in a lot of different ways in My role as a pastor and in preaching, I've been encouraged in a lot of different ways. But today I was encouraged in a way that was a first for me in this context. Matt Moore, who is the husband of Krista, the father of Jackson and Anna Kate, the son of Doug and Martha, the grandson of George Thomas Jones, in the hall on the way in, walked by me, patted me on my backside... Now, I've had that done in other contexts before, but I've never had it done in the context of church. Patted me on my backside and said, now do a good job today. (laughs) He has said interesting motivational things to me before, though. The day I preached the trial sermon, I was back in the office and he came in literally like, 30 seconds before I was to walk out and he said, I've got two words for you. Don't stink. (laughs) That may be slightly cleaned up from what he actually said to me that day. Thank you, Matt. I'm going to try to do a good job today, okay? We know God has done a good job in his word. For over a month, we studied the first half of Romans 14... And it's about the subject of issues of gray. Issues that the Bible doesn't specifically condone or condemn. Beginning last Sunday morning, we are looking at this second half of the chapter. And from it, talking about dealing with these issues of gray. By dealing with these issues of gray, I mean... What do we do with them? How do we handle them as a group, as a church? How do we decide on them individually, dealing with these issues of gray? Follow along with me once more as I read the passage, beginning in verse 13. It says, Therefore, let us no longer criticize one another. Instead, decide never to put a stumbling block or a pitfall in your brother's way. I know and am persuaded by the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. Still, to someone who considers a thing to be unclean, to that one, it is unclean. For if your brother is hurt by what you eat, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy that one. Christ died for by what you eat. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, 
but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, we must pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. Do not tear down God's work because of food. Everything is clean, but it is wrong for a man to cause stumbling by what he eats. It is a noble thing not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that makes your brother stumble. Do you have a conviction? Keep it to yourself before God. The man who does not condemn himself by what he approves is blessed. But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats. Because his eating is not from a conviction, and everything that is not from a conviction is sin. I told you last Sunday morning that in this last half of the chapter, we're going to find three ways to deal with these issues of gray. Both as a group and individually, three ways to deal with issues of gray. And the first of those we covered last week. It was, don't be judgmental. Don't be critical. Don't be judging all the time. Don't be mean. Don't be looking down on others. When this happens, it destroys the unity of a church. And it is the thing that was not only emphasized in this first verse of the second half of the chapter, but it's the thing that has kept popping up again and again throughout the chapter. Don't be judgmental. We also began last Sunday morning to cover the second way in this passage that we're to deal with these issues of gray. It is don't be a stumbling block. We're to make a decision individually That we will not be a stumbling block to other believers especially, but to anyone else. A stumbling block is when we would do something that we have freedom to do. It would be okay for us to do when it concerns these gray issues. But it would cause another believer or another member of the church to sin in their walk with Christ. We're to make this decision not to be a stumbling block. And after taking a look at that command, don't be a stumbling block, I then told you that in the passage, besides the command itself, it gives us three reasons that we're not to be a stumbling block. We covered the first one of those last week. So the first reason that we're not to be a stumbling block, we've already learned is that it is unloving to our family. When we exercise our freedoms, I'm talking about Christian freedoms, things that individually it would be absolutely okay and unsinful for us to do, when we exercise those in regards to these issues of gray without considering how it will affect others in the church, we are acting in an unloving way. We don't want to take advantage of our freedoms in such a way 
that would hurt or grieve deeply another within the body of Christ. These people that would potentially be hurt are more than just people. They're a family. They're part of our most important family. And we want to be loving to all, but especially we want to be loving to our family, don't we? Our brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, that brings us to where we pick up today, fresh and new. It's the second reason in this passage that we are not to be stumbling blocks. Here's the reason. We should not be stumbling blocks because it causes people to slander us and the kingdom. We should make a good judgment individually that I will do no thing, I will exercise not one of my Christian freedoms when it comes to these issues of gray that will be a stumbling block because it causes people to slander us and it causes people to slander the kingdom of God. I take this from verse 16. Look there again. Therefore, do not let your good be slandered. Now, the good that he's speaking of here is something that would be okay for you to do. One of these issues of gray. Your conscience is clear. You feel free scripturally and every other way that it would be okay for you to do this. You aren't guilty at all. You don't have a second thought about it. But. Before we do it, we must think of others as we've learned last week. We must think of brothers and sisters in the church that we're a part of. We must think of others outside of the church. That's what he's getting at when he says here, do not let your good be slandered. It might be a good thing for you. It may be a non-sinful thing for you to do. But we shouldn't be a stumbling block because if we are, it will cause others to slander us individually. Maybe think less of our Christianity or think that we aren't one at all. It will also cause them to slander the kingdom of God. And we certainly don't want them to slander the kingdom of God, to speak evil or negative about it. And then this is... Not simply something that people within the church may say about us. But here he's probably going beyond the walls of the church to the community. And suggesting that before we exercise our freedoms. We must consider others. Because what will those out there think? Would exercising this freedom. This Christian freedom in my life. Cause others in particular outside of the church to speak negative about me, speak negative about our church, or speak negative about the kingdom of God. Take a moment and turn with me over to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 15. First Peter chapter 2, verse 15.
It says here, For it is God's will that you silence the ignorance of foolish people by doing good. The foolish people that are spoken of here are those outside of the church, the lost, the unchurched. And there is a lot of foolishness among them, just like there's a lot of foolishness among us. And they will speak and say foolish things about Christians, about the people of God, about the local church, about the church as a whole, about God, about the kingdom. They're always saying foolish things about us. Much of the foolishness that they say, we give them the ammo for saying it, don't we? God's plan is for us to silence them, not by winning an argument, but by our consistently doing good. And they're being able to see that in our life in such a profound way that it impacts them, it shames them into shutting up. But, connecting this to the passage we're studying this morning, if we're exercising our freedoms in Christ on these issues of grace, with no consideration of these people, the good thing that we could do could be seen by them as a bad thing and could cause them to slander us. Do you see how then, if we don't consider what other people think before we make a decision on these issues of gray, it could be a stumbling block to those even outside the church. And we don't accomplish God's purpose of silencing them at all. We just give them more to talk about. In verse 16 it says there, As God's slaves live as free people, and we should. It's a wonderful freedom in Christ. But don't use your freedom as a way to conceal evil. And certainly don't use your freedom as a way to promote people saying evil things about you or about our church or about the kingdom of God. Now go back to our main passage in Romans 14 and look at verse 17 there. And I'll read again verse 16 to to transition into it. It says, Therefore, do not let your good be slandered. For... The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Do you know what verse 17 means? If you had to boil it down and summarize it, do you get what he's saying here? He's saying this. Issues of gray are not the most important issues in the kingdom. Did you hear me? That's what he's getting at. These issues of gray are not the most important issues in the kingdom. So we shouldn't hurt a brother or cause an outsider to slander us or the kingdom when it comes to our exercising freedom over one of these issues of gray. Thinking that issues of gray are the most important issues in the kingdom. That was the mistake that the Pharisees made. 
What were they all about? The rules. Primarily their rules, not even God's rules. And their rules had become for them the most important things. It's the same mistake that legalists like the Pharisees from 2,000 years ago still make today. They want to make the most important issues in all of Christianity these non-essential issues. These issues of gray. Some of you may have grown up in a home where you were given the impression that these issues of gray were the most important issues. Some people grow up in religious backgrounds, in churches where they're given the impression that these issues of gray are the most important issues. But they're not. The New Testament scholar A.M. Hunter has written, Christian history shows numerous examples of people utterly earnest about non-essentials who have felt at liberty to break the unity of the church for the sake of their particular fetish. And all along through this entire chapter, I have kept coming back to what I think is really what he's trying to get at, and that is, these issues of gray are not more important than the unity of the church. Our opinions about these issues of gray are just that. They're opinions. And opinions should never be a cause for damaging or breaking the church of the living God. You say, well, if these issues aren't the most important issues in the kingdom, what issues are? I am so glad that you've asked. And we do not have to guess, do we? He gives us the issues that are the most important or among the most important in the kingdom in the verse that we've just read. Look at verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. That's not what it's primarily about. Either not doing it or doing it. It's not primarily about this. But righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What we eat, whether we drink or not, what we can or cannot do on Sunday, and every other issue of gray that you can imagine, these aren't the most important issues. But I'll begin with one that is righteousness. Righteousness is a primary issue when it comes to the kingdom of God. If you didn't know that before... You should know that now after we've spent all this time in the book of Romans. It is the subject of the book, righteousness. How we can be right with God. And the way that we become right with God is through having the righteousness or the perfection or the holiness of Jesus credited to our behalf. And the way that we have that righteousness of Jesus credited to our behalf is through faith in who he is as 
Lord, Savior, Messiah, and through faith or dependence, through counting on what He's done in His perfect life and His death for sins and His resurrection from the grave. Righteousness is a most important issue in the kingdom. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 6, the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those whose driving passion is how can I be right with God. Blessed are those whose driving passion is how can I receive a righteousness that I do not have on my own, but the very righteousness of God. How can I receive that? Blessed are those who make the most important issue this preaching of a message that is about we are saved through faith in Jesus. He did not say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst to fight over issues of grace. But blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In Matthew 6, 33, a verse that many of us learned as children, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom and His righteousness. Do you see there the connection between the kingdom and righteousness? Seek first the kingdom and His righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. Now, I take from that that all of the other things are things that are beneath the level of importance of righteousness. Seek first being right with God. Seek first receiving and counting on the righteousness of Jesus. And all of these other things will sort of take care of themselves. The righteousness that is spoken of here, I would add, also includes some practical righteousness. It's not just that we have imputed to our account the righteousness of Jesus, but when we are saved, imparted into our heart and into our spirit is the very righteousness of Christ from which we can live righteously. Not perfectly, not just like Jesus, but increasingly. And certainly in a way that others could tell the difference. Righteousness is a most important kingdom issue. Also, peace is a most important kingdom issue. Peace. Look back at the announcement of the birth of Christ. And see the prevalence of the word peace in it. Look through the teaching of Jesus. And again note the prevalence of the word peace. The subject of peace. Here, note the importance of peace among all kingdom issues. Righteousness and peace. The peace that's spoken of here is peace with God. Peace is a most important kingdom issue 
because the, the news of the Bible is that on our own and in our sin, apart from Christ, we are not with peace or not at peace with God. We are His enemies. We are under His wrath. But Jesus has come to provide peace between God and every person who will turn from their sins and trust on Him. It's through our faith in Christ that we become children of God, friends of God, that we have as our own peace with God, which leads to having in our hearts the peace of God, so that then we can seek peace, true peace with others, and share with those who don't have peace with God, The message of the gospel, which is a message of peace. No, these issues of gray aren't the most important kingdom issues, but peace is one. Even peace within the church is a most important kingdom issue. Let's go back to it again. What have I said over and over? Issues of gray are not more important than the unity of the church. Unity is sort of a synonym here for the word peace. Why then have these issues of gray so many times destroyed the peace within God's church? Broken the unity within His church. One other most important kingdom issue that is mentioned here is joy. Joy. I'm all for being serious when we should be serious. And certainly now and each Sunday at this time, we're talking about serious things. But I hope it comes across that these things that we talk about are great sources of joy to me. It's okay, folks, to be happy about Jesus. It's okay to even express our joy. Uh, John Newton came through before the service and encouraged the choir to quiet down and get serious. Now, if you know John Newton at all, you know how very funny that he is. Uh, A man of, of great joy. We should be people of great joy. Joy is a super important kingdom issue. And being joyous lends itself to a united church. A church that's at peace with one another. Turn back just for a moment to Matthew chapter 23, verse 23. When I was studying in weeks past for this message, and I got to this part of the passage, this verse, this this passage in Matthew 23 jumped to my mind. Jesus is speaking to the hypocrites, and he's giving them the woes. Woe meaning an urgent message of impending doom. It doesn't mean stop in the south. In some context it does, but not here. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You pay a tenth of or you tithe your mint, deal, and cumin. 
I mean, they were sticklers for tithing. By the way, we're not wanting any of you to bring the herbs from your garden and tithe them each week. We'll just be satisfied with your money. You pay a tenth of mint, deal, and cumin, yet you have neglected the more important matters of the law. You see the connection between this passage and the one we're studying this morning? People that neglect the most important matters, the most important issues, that they exclude them for things that are far less significant. Uh, The way I learned this verse growing up was you have neglected the weightier issues of the law, the weightier matters of the law, which are justice, mercy, and faith. Now, these things should have been done, that is, the tithing should be, without neglecting the others. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, yet you gulp down a camel. And don't we have a proneness to be just the same way? We'll fuss and we'll fight over the most insignificant things, coffee grounds, if you will. A coffee ground, figuratively speaking. But then we swallow mice in our coffee. Weightier, more important issues. Do you remember that occasion where Matthew had been saved and had become a disciple, a follower of Christ. And immediately after that, Matthew, the former tax collector, has a party and invites all of his sinner friends, his lost friends, to come and meet Jesus. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders are looking on and they can't get over the fact that Jesus would have anything to do with sinners. And Jesus quoted for them from Hosea 6, 6, which says, or Jesus said, you need to learn what this means. Because you've missed it completely. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Now, he wasn't saying that sacrifice wasn't an important part of the Old Testament. It was, but it wasn't among the most important things. Mercy had always been far more important. And it's certainly far more important when it comes to dealing with these issues of grace. Look at verse 18 in Romans 14, our passage today. It says, whoever serves Christ in this way, by thinking of others before they act on these issues of grace, by considering whether it will hurt them, whether it's loving towards them, whether it will cause others to slander us in the kingdom. Whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God. And that's a phrase that carries us back to Romans 12.1 and 12.2 where it talks about living a life that is pleasing, acceptable to God. This is the kind of life that that is acceptable to Him, that He approves of. Where we live... Not simply in consideration of what's right for me as an individual, 
but the impact that it will have on others in the church and outside of the church. Whoever serves Christ in this way, by making the most important matters of the kingdom, the most important matters, whoever serves Christ in this way is acceptable to God and approved by men. Now, so often we have been taught, maybe I have even said, and rightly so sometimes, that we aren't to consider what others think when we make decisions. That's true in in some cases. We shouldn't primarily be concerned with the feelings of others because then we will become Christian politicians trying to please here, trying to please there. But that's not to suggest that we are totally to disregard the feelings of others, especially the feelings of other believers. We want to live in a way as far as we possibly can that is both acceptable or approved by God and approved by men. All of that to say that the second reason we shouldn't be a stumbling block is because it causes people to slander us and the kingdom. Well, that brings us to this third reason that we shouldn't be a stumbling block, which is that it tears down God's work. When we exercise a Christian freedom without considering others on these issues of grace, and we become in that action a stumbling block, we are guilty of tearing down God's work. Start with verse 19. So then, we must pursue what promotes peace. That's to be a a critical factor in our decisions on these things. Will this promote peace? Will this help us to preserve the peace that we have as a local body of faith? Now, I want to remind you that the context here is these issues of grace. This doesn't mean that we are to preserve peace at all costs. There are essentials that are more important than peace. If the fight is about essentials, then peace is not more important than the essentials. The doctrines of the faith, the gospel itself. But this is within the context of issues of gray. Concerning them, we are to pursue what promotes peace. And also it says, what builds up one another, that is what edifies. Have you heard that word before? Edify, edification. It means to build up like someone would erect a building. It means to build up the body, to build up other believers, to build up the church of the living God. That's what we must pursue. What will promote peace and what will build the body up? As opposed to tearing it down. Look at verse 20. Do not tear down God's work because of food. What do you think God's work is here that's, that's being referred to? His work in that other person's life. His work among the body itself. When we live in a way that's a stumbling block. We are tearing down God's work in that individual's life. And we're tearing down God's building work within the church. 
do not tear down God's work because of food. That sort of puts it in perspective, doesn't it? Do not tear down God's work because of food. Really? Is your eating that thing that important? Is your drinking that drink that important? Is your doing or exercising your freedom in Christ that important? It's not important enough to tear down God's work. And if it doesn't, then fine, exercise your freedom. But before you do, before we do, consider the effect that it has. Everything is clean, he says in the second part of verse 20, talking about food and these issues of grace. We could probably, if we lived in a vacuum, do any of them that we wanted to. But it is wrong for a man to cause stumbling by what he eats or by his exercise of any of these freedoms in the area of issues of grace. Verse 21, I think, is super important. And I think it's sometimes lost. In our day, in my life, I'm not pointing at you or pointing at our world. I think, I think we lose it sometime because we, we live in a time where the individual is so stressed. And in particular, what is stressed about the individual is my rights. My rights. That's not fair to me. Well, well I can do that. Other people shouldn't be thinking about it. They're, they're being nosy. It's none of their business. That sort of mindset. But here, verse 21. It is a noble thing. Christian, are you interested in living in a noble way? An admirable sort of way? If you're not, look, we should be. Noble is good. It is a noble thing not to eat meat or to drink wine, or to do anything that makes your brother stumble. I'm afraid that, that what is, is generally understood is the noble thing is the exercising of every one of our Christian freedoms. That's the noble thing. But listen to this verse. The more noble thing than exercising all the freedoms you have in Christ is not to exercise some of those freedoms because you're considering what it does to another. No, we're not talking about these things being sinful in and of themselves, the eating, the drinking. We're talking about this truth that we don't live in a vacuum. That we live among people and around people and we're always to be considering what they think about it, how it will affect them. I have a very good friend, still a very good friend, was in my previous church, lived right down the road from us, their family and our family very close. I mean, a close friend. And every year when it came time for deacons to be elected in our church, he was approached about being a deacon. Well, it's not this way here necessarily, but in our, in our previous church, even before I'd gotten there, there was a line in there that a deacon agreed that he would not drink at all. And to his credit, he said, I drink every once in a while. And so I'm going to turn down being a deacon. 
And he did this for several years. And he's a, a great man. I'm not talking about, I mean, he loves the Lord. He loves his family. He loves the church. Very involved. And after he turned it down for several years, we were such good friends. And I went to him and I said, Is drinking every once in a while so important to you that you will keep it in exchange for having a position in our church where you could really influence others, in a bigger way influence others, and influence the direction of our church. And we had a good talk about that. And I didn't mean it judgmentally, judgmentally or critically. I, didn't, I don't think any less of him for that. But, but I've thought about it often. Is that freedom more important or any of these freedoms more important than something potentially bigger that we could do for the Lord and for his kingdom it is a noble thing not to do anything that would make our brother stumble a couple of passages I want you to look with me at the first is first Corinthians six twelve. turn there real quick 1 Corinthians 6, 12. It says here, everything is permissible for me. A lot of freedom in Christ. But not everything's helpful or profitable. Everything is permissible for me. But I will not be brought under the control of anything. Now flip over several chapters to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23. We see the same phrase again. Here it says, everything is permissible, but not everything is helpful or profitable. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. Connecting this to our passage today. No one should seek his own good but the good of the other person. And then he gets real practical here for them. Eat everything that is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. You know what he's getting at? Go buy it, buy the cheapest stuff. Don't ask whether it's been sacrificed to an idol or not, so your conscience won't be offended and you won't be guilty of sinning by eating it. For the earth is the Lord's and all that's in it. Now, if one of the unbelievers invites you over and you want to go, go and eat everything that's set before you without raising questions of conscience. That is, if an unchurched person had invited them over and served them meat, they don't need to say before they eat it, well, has this been sacrificed to an idol? Because if it had, then it brings up all these issues of conscience. He says, go ahead and eat it. But verse 28, if you're there and someone else there says, now that food's been sacrificed to an idol, don't eat it because the person that brought it up is obviously bothered by it. Why would you not eat it? Well, out of consideration for the one who told you and for your conscience's sake and theirs. I do not mean your own conscience, but the other person's. You don't want to offend theirs and be a stumbling block. For why is my freedom judged by another person's conscience? That's not asking in a bad way. It's saying don't do things that will bring your freedoms into being judged by another person's conscience. Same way with the next question in verse 30. If I partake with thanks, why am I slandered because of something I give thanks for? That is, 
consider it before you do that so that your exercise of Christian freedom won't be slandered. Verse 31, wrapping this passage up. Therefore, whether you eat or you drink or whatever you do, do everything for God's glory. I mean, that's got to be a driving factor. Is God glorified in this? Is His church built up in this? Give no offense to the Jews and no offense to the Greeks, Gentiles, and no offense to the church of God. Just as I also try to please all people in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many so that they may be saved. Souls. I've said that unity is more important than these issues of grace. Souls are too. Imitate me as I also imitate Christ. I tried to think of a a question that would uh, really bring it to our level. And, And this is the best that I could come up with. All of you Monroeville folks, I'm talking about you Monroeville through and through. Your roots are here. This is this is you. You've always been here. You love Monroeville. All of you Monroe, Monroe County folks that are that way. What would you do if someone vandalized or destroyed the old courthouse? Be a little bit upset? Or if that's not valuable to you, think of something that, that you've built or... Maybe a grandparent or a parent's built or a child has built a a precious memento to you. What if someone destroyed that, defamed it, vandalized it? How would that make you feel? Now, I ask those questions for this reason. If those things, the thoughts of those things bother you, then how much more should we be bothered by the potential of tearing down something God has built. Something He is building. We shouldn't be a stumbling block because it tears down God's work. Don't be a stumbling block. You know, I've mentioned Spurgeon several times over the last few weeks, and I told you he had some freedoms in Christ, and he exercised them. One of them was smoking cigars. But what I didn't tell you earlier purposely is that uh, eventually he gave them up. You know why? It was this issue of the stumbling block. He was walking down the streets of London one day, and outside a shop hung a sign that said, We sell the cigars that Spurgeon smokes. And right there he made a decision that he wouldn't smoke them anymore because he didn't want to be a cause for sin in another's life. And that's the attitude that we should take. Now I want to wrap up this final way we deal with it real quick. It's short, I promise, because it won't work for a sermon all its own. Third way that we're to deal with these issues of grave, I already covered it some, that's why we can do it real quickly. Third way we deal with these issues of grave Decide from your conscience. Decide from your conscience. Verse 22 and 23, as we wrap things up today, it says, Do you have a conviction? Do you have a personal, strong feeling about these issues of gray? 
then tell everybody about it. No, that's not what it says, but that's what we do. We tell people about the wrong things. We're to be telling them about the gospel, not our personal opinions on these issues of gray. It says, keep it to yourself before God. It's between you and God. Keep it that way. And if you make decisions from that, don't do it without considering others. Because it says at the end of the verse, the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves is blessed. How could we condemn ourselves by what we approve? If it's good for us, we approve it. How could we then be condemned or guilty of sin when we don't consider others? And it's a stumbling block to them and it causes them to sin. That's the happy person who isn't guilty of sin by doing something that's not sinful for them to do simply because they haven't considered others. Verse 23 says, But whoever doubts stands condemned if he eats it, because his eating is not from a conviction or not from faith that it's right. And everything that is not from a conviction or everything that is not from faith is sin. That is speaking of the fact that if we can't do it from a clear conscience, then we shouldn't do it. Decide from your conscience. So, don't be judgmental. Don't be a stumbling block. And decide from your conscience. These are the keys to dealing with issues of grace. How are you doing then, individually, dealing with these issues of grace? How are we doing, uh, collectively, dealing with these issues of grace? All of us, individually and as a group, can certainly do better. And I'm trusting, by God's grace, that we will. How are you dealing with the black and white issues that I've alluded to over the past few weeks? Especially, how are you dealing with the gospel, the good news of who Jesus is and what he's done. Are you dealing with the gospel by turning from your sin and trusting on Jesus to save you? If you're not, it's the only way to deal with it. Start dealing with it in that way today. I pray that God would make it that way in your life and that if you are dealing with it in that way, that you keep dealing with it in that way. Keep turning and trusting on Jesus to save you.